the type of line, how it's applied or form, or the way it travels across a surface or through space conveys all kinds of information, making it one of the most communicative elements in design. It's simple and easy to create, but immensely powerful. Hello, all my linear lovelies. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on the Sage Arts Podcast. I'm Sage, your tour guide on this excursion through the world of line. That's the subject matter for this month's design focus and today's chat. This is definitely one of my favorite design elements because there's so much you can do with it. It's just really fun and kind of magical in the things that we can get out of using line. So let's just kind of set up the stage of where we're chatting. I am, as usual, in the podcast room with my kind of standard mixed berry tea beside me and a heavy dose of matcha and go-to cola in there as well. I'm actually trying some different supplements because my brain has been literally under a lot of pressure lately, really crazy pressure headaches. Doctors aren't sure why I'm getting them, but we're starting some allergy support stuff and lymphatic massage, and we'll see how that works. But it seems to be helping so far, and I'm good at the moment, so Let's get this thing going before that changes. It's just me in here right now. Ember has taken to sleeping under my writing desk just outside the room here or Brett's desk. And that seems to be like her comfort places right now. So she's off doing her thing wherever. And that means there's plenty of room for you and maybe a few of our friends here to come in and join me. So, you know, I really wish I could actually have people here. It'd be so cool. But I'm going to imagine all of you out there and you can imagine yourself in here with me on this sunny and not too hot Southern California afternoon. Life is settling back into kind of a routine here again after we've lost our um, pet Kimba. She left just like this big empty space in the house. It's crazy how much that little creature <laughs> took up in our lives. But I do want to thank everyone who has continued to drop in and see how we're doing and send kind words about the loss of our pet. You are such wonderful people. I just so appreciate how supportive and caring you all are. Speaking of which, why don't we just get into some other thank yous and then we can get on to this fun stuff with line. I'd like to give a shout out to the new people who donated this week. Thank you so very much. I don't know who you are, though, <laughs> because they were all anonymous this week for some reason. But you know who you are and just know that I so appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Also got some lovely comments on social media and through email. My favorite was probably from Sun Hesper Jansen, who is a poet and author rather than a visual artist. Although from their feed on Instagram, they seem to be quite appreciative of the visual art of Mother Nature. But they left a comment about how much they love the podcast and how it's good for all kinds of creatives. And in actuality, I really do think that too. And I wish I could market this to like creatives in general, but it's already kind of a challenge to speak to like all types of visual artists and include things that matter to all of them. And yet, Sun is not the only writer that listens to my podcast. And that just goes to show that the workings of the creative mind and our battles as creative people isn't really about what we work with. Whether you work with paint or clay or words or sound or whatever, it's all born from that same human need to put something out there in the world that didn't exist before, something born of your unique self and your unique experience. So Thank you, son, for putting that out and giving me the opportunity to bring that up and allow me to remind you all that if you're enjoying this, I bet your other creative friends will too. So tell them about it and let's grow this community of our more self-aware and vibrantly curious creatives that we all are. That comment from Sun actually came in on my personal Instagram page, which if any of you want to see what I'm up to personally, 
That's at Sage Brave Aaron, all one word on Instagram. You can find my photography, my poetry, sometimes mixed media art. Mostly it's my ICM, which is the intentional camera movement stuff. It's painterly kind of photography. Just pop on over and say hi and follow if you like. I wasn't very active on that page the previous couple of months because I was really trying to focus on things I could do to further develop what I'm trying to do through the podcast. Still working on those things, by the way, but (laughs) I'm trying to get back to posting on that page now. I do miss the interactions there. This month, I'm doing something called Author August 23. It was created by Mariah Hankeman. Participants use this calendar she created to post specific things about themselves every day. So you can probably learn a lot about me this month if that's of any interest by going and joining and following my Instagram page, Sage Brave Aaron, just in case. But anyways, keep those comments and stories coming. Reach out to me via email through the sagearts.com website. If you have any comments or stories that you want to tell me, you can go to the contact page there or you can reach out to me through Facebook or Instagram the posts or the messages, or even my personal Sage Bravarian Instagram page I just mentioned. And don't forget, we do have a Zoom call next week, Thursday, August 10th, 11 a.m. Pacific time. That'd be like 2 p.m. Eastern time. This gather, this time will be on the theme of creating your artistic voice. We can also talk about line and I can answer any questions you have after listening to this as well. So Bring your questions and your stories to share with your fellow Sage Arts folks. There is no set cost to come to this, although there is a suggested $4 donation. You can find those donation buttons partway down the homepage of the sagearts.com website or in the show notes. And to get the link to the Zoom call, you need to be a member of the Sage Arts Podcast Share Space on Facebook. So you can just search for that and we'll get you in on that. Or if you're not signed up for the newsletter yet, you can get the link through there. Just go to the homepage of the sagearts.com and look for the news and notices button. All of these links to talk about can be found in the show notes or description section of the page you're listening to this through. All right, business completed. Let's do this thing. So if you like having questions in mind as we dive in, let's just keep it simple by asking yourself, how you use line and are the concepts I'm introducing to you familiar to you? Can you think of ways to work with the concepts that are new to you or that you haven't thought about in a while maybe? Mostly just take this all in and I'll send notes in the newsletter for review later as well as on social media if you want that. And I'll post examples on the social media pages throughout the month of August as well to keep you going on this. So I have to say, first of all, line is one of my favorite elements. It's just so dynamic and it's so easily read by pretty much anyone because there's an inherent language in line that we've all learned. And you'll see what I mean by the time we are done here. Like Marx, which we explored last month, line is one of our most essential design elements, but it's one that may often be overlooked or not considered as fully as it could be considering what it can do. Line is something we tend to associate with the idea of a stroke on a surface uh, or an intentional boundary even, but it is also something we see in three-dimensional things out in the world, from tree branches to cobwebs to streams in a valley to cracks in a sidewalk. Lines have always made up so much of our visual world. Now, I know line may seem like a simple element, but it is really so complex, which is why I have a whole show on it today, right? (laughs) The type of line how it's applied or form, or the way it travels across a surface or through space conveys all kinds of information, making it one of the most communicative elements in design. That is why line is the element used for writing and symbols and graphs and maps and nearly all types of abbreviated communications. It's simple and easy to create, but immensely powerful. 
Now, lines in art can be produced through or inherently exist in nearly all visual mediums. Obviously, you can create lines with brushes and pens and pencils or use tools to carve or sculpt or embed lines in clay and metals and fabric and all manner of malleable materials. Lines can also, though, be found in the absence of mediums, like in taped areas and paint or open space between elements in like three-dimensional art. Lines are inherent in some materials like wood and stone and many photographs because lines are so essential in the world around us and they define most of what we see on some level. That's why when children first draw, they start with line. Most of us actually start to plan or express our ideas for our artwork in line if we do any kind of planning, regardless of what kind of material we work with, because it's just everywhere and it is a language that we can use to define so many things for us. So let's talk about all the options you have for creating lines. Now, don't think too much about these, not too hard. This is not a class. You're not going to be tested at the end. (laughs) Just take it in. I'll give you some ideas for increasing your innate understanding of line at the end of this episode, a way that's kind of effortless and shouldn't make you overly conscious of your lines, which is not what we want. I just want you to be more aware of it and its possibilities. Your choices for creating line are hugely varied, but I've broken it down into kind of three primary types, which should encompass your basic options. So Virtually any kind of treatment or manipulation of material can develop some type of line that you can use to direct a viewer's eye, elicit emotion, or create energy. But here are the basic types that you have. First of all, strokes. Strokes are the ones we think of first when we talk line, because we think a line, we think of a drawn line, right? Since we were children, we've been creating line with the stroke of a pencil, a pen, markers, chalk, even sticks in the mud, right? This is the most common method of creating line using strokes, as well as one of the easiest. We can define stroke as any element that stands out as a line with its own length and thickness moving across the surface or the space of a piece. In malleable materials, strokes are created with tools and other various mark-making elements, by the way, marks. And yes, if you listen to the episode on mark-making last month, pretty much everything that can make a mark can also make a line although not always as a stroke, and we'll get into that alternative in just a second. The advantage to strokes are that they give us a tremendous amount of ease and freedom and spontaneity in the creation of line. The caveat is that some strokes aren't created. They're actually inherent. Like, as I mentioned, in many examples of wood and stone and photos, there's going to be line and you didn't create it. It's just inherent. And that can actually create limitations rather than being freeing But limitations are wonderful. And if you haven't listened to episode 25, the one on limitations, do so. And you'll see why these inherent lines can be a blessing rather than a hindrance. But yes, strokes are one of the most basic and probably the most common of lines, but not by far the only type. There are also boundaries, lines created by the edges or borders of visual elements. For example, where two materials meet such as the boundary where two different colors of paint come together or mixed metal in jewelry like uh, makume or inlays in wood, the shapes of buildings or any objects that stand out against a background in photographs or illustrations, polymer clay and canes, the way those colors come together. Those all create a point of sudden change. And we see those changes, those boundaries as lines. So that means lines are also created where other sudden changes are made, like where different textures or treatments end completely and another clearly begins, 
or where layers end, their edges standing out against the layers beneath them. These lines may seem incidental, but especially when there are few, if any, other lines on the piece, they can become strong lines that guide the eye through the piece. Okay, so those are boundaries. And now for the really fun lines, <laughs> the ones that I love, implied line. The thing is, lines are so basic and so intrinsic in the way we see things that our mind sees lines that aren't even visible. We will see, for instance, or sense parts of a line that don't exist as a continuation of existing lines, such as when a line is created that terminates at the end of a piece or the edge of a piece. Our mind generally imagines that it continues off into the space beyond, even though we don't see that. This filling in line where it doesn't exist is even stronger when a line is briefly interrupted by an object or there's a space in the midst of the line, like in a series of dashes, you know, the kind that you know, show you where to cut a coupon. <laughs> we see the line as continuous, not a collection of marks, which is what it actually is. That holds true for things that are not traditionally part of a stroke or other typical line, as long as these nonlinear objects are organized on a continuous path like buttons on a shirt or people standing in in line at the store. <laughs> no line has been drawn between these individual objects and there can be significant space between some of them, right? But if our mind can find a smooth path from one to the other, then we see a line. Now, you can use this in your art with marks, and this is why I mentioned last month that marks can create lines, right? So a series of paint dots or beads or impressions or even a series of recognizable objects or symbols, as long as they follow one after another on a discernible path, we will see a line and it will work like line, like any other line in your artwork. And we'll talk about how to work with lines, but you just have to remember that you have all these different types, strokes and boundaries and implied lines. Okay, so now you have a general definition and idea of what kind of lines you can create. So let's talk about how lines work in your piece. Understanding the language of line, how you can use them to best express yourself or relay what you want to show in your work, starts with defining the primary characteristics that all lines have. These are primarily orientation or path and weight or emphasis. And these are kind of my own terms because there's not really any one set of terms used in all mediums. So focus on the concepts more than the terms that I'm giving you. I use these terms, though, as a way to organize these concepts into manageable little chunks. So I guess work with whatever works best for you. Let's talk about orientation first. The orientation of a line can dramatically affect how your work is interpreted. So this becomes a really important choice for you. Horizontal lines, they feel secure and calm and steady, like the line of the horizon or a stretched out sleeping figure. It's not a high energy line and tends to make us think of things in stasis. So using horizontal lines can balance an otherwise high energy background or heavy use of chaotic marks, for example. They also tend to split the space, especially those horizontal lines that go all the way across the work. We consider what is above and below those horizontal lines, most likely because our view of our world is often split by horizontals, like landscape is usually split into land and sky, or what is above a table or counter or windowsill even. These separate the space to what is above and what is below. So it sets up a very simple but strong symbol of like higher and lower and greater and lesser. And if you want to push those ideas in your work, you have that opportunity with horizontals. 
Vertical lines, wow, they feel strong and bold. They invoke the idea of standing tall and being in a powerful, secure position. Think of pillars in a building, tall monuments, and towering trees. Unlike horizontals, we don't think in terms of left and right sides, even if the vertical runs from the top to the bottom of a piece. For one, we don't have any universal ideas about things that are on the left side and the right side, you know. And also vertical lines due to their upright nature, they're so commanding on their own with their innate but still energy showing strength and groundedness, they command attention in and of themselves. And so they're easily made into like focal points. And that's a little trickier to do with some of the other line orientations. So vertical lines are kind of special in that way. Diagonal lines, these are the high energy lines. They give both the feeling of energy and action, often adding a bit of drama to things. And this is because things on a diagonal look ready to give into gravity and roll or move down slope, or alternately, they can represent something shooting up. Out in the world, we might see vertical objects uh, take on a diagonal orientation when they are windblown, like a tree, or being toppled, like if a monument's falling over. In all of these cases, we get a definite sense of movement in this orientation of line. In other words, diagonals represent things in the midst of change or on the verge of it, and that makes diagonals very high energy that really draw the eye. Okay, now I put this next one under orientation, but it's kind of a concept of its own really, and that is curved or changing paths. So think of waves and circles and spirals These kind of lines speak to things like harmony and well-being, but they can also be fun and playful. Unlike the other orientations, they aren't nearly as forceful or insistent, but they do still encourage your eye to follow along, just not in a straight line. So waves and curves in lines slow you down, much like driving a car. They are found throughout the natural world and are widely used as both decorative motifs and important symbols in societies all over the globe. From the unfurling form of a sprouting fern to a winding stream to the whorls on your fingerprints, these flowing lines rolling inward or gently meandering about are a comforting design that takes us on a slow and often alluring path. And you can dial up or down the energy of these by how wide the waves are in a line or how tight the circling is in a spiral. You can also combine them with other orientations, particularly when it's a wavy line in that they can run in a more horizontal or vertical or diagonal path. And then that takes on some of those orientations aspects as well. Next, we need to talk about weight or emphasis. This is about how apparent they are, whether they're subtle or bold or somewhere in between. When they're strokes, for instance, we just call it like they're thick or thin or somewhere in between, or they're a variation of thicknesses along the length of them. This is another way to adjust the energy of the line, by the way, because like a big thick line is going to feel bold and it's going to really vie for attention, while a wispy one is, well, it's going to be quieter, like a whisper. And weight doesn't usually come into play with boundary, but what you use to make that line can change how much they feel emphasized. Like if the boundary line is between two opposite colors, that boundary line can really buzz with that contrast just visually. 
if the lines are implied in a line of dots. But let's say the dots are actually like dots on dots, like little tiny targets. You see these a lot in the mandala paintings that are out a lot lately, the rock paintings and things like that. That makes the line feel heavy and definitely grabs the eyes because it's like a line of little targets to start with. And then they're in a line. But put those next to a line of single small dots and the small dots are going to feel like they're tiptoeing through the work, right? However, if a line of single dots was on a piece with the only other lines being like subtle boundary lines, the dotted line is going to feel extremely important. So, of course, context matters when it comes to any design element. But knowing this, you can emphasize or magnify the characteristics of a line and thus fine-tune the message or emotion of the work. It will also play a role in the composition and where the eye will travel as heavy lines will generally get more attention than thin lines, but thin lines can be quite persistent when they are straight and in contrast with other lines' characteristics. Let's actually get to that, the way lines are used and composed. In addition to the types of lines you can create, how you arrange or group the lines in your work can further communicate your ideas and direct the viewer's eye around the piece. And we'll get to the whole idea of directing the eye around the piece when we get to composition, but it basically helps establish hierarchy, what's important, what's not important in your piece. And you can conduct the eye so that the viewer has a certain kind of experience by seeing certain things one after another. But in any case, this idea of directional or leading aspects of line is probably one of the most important things that line can do for you. At least I think so. Because that's what line does more than anything. It directs, it leads, it guides the viewer's eye, drawing us to follow them through the piece. Now, why do we follow line with our eyes? Our eyes are drawn to line in large part because line represents travel and movement, which has always been a part of our natural day-to-day existence and often represents a way to something necessary or significant. For instance, our ancestors would follow well-worn trails or the bank of a stream to find their way around or find food or shelter. But now it's like roads and sidewalks and hallways. (laughs) The change in what our paths are made of, however, has not changed our instinct to follow them in whatever form they appear before us, including just being representational lines. Now, how insistently line can direct the viewer's eye, how quickly and to what effect those lines lead us along, is dependent on visual characteristics, including whether they're vertical or horizontal or diagonal or broken or wavy or orderly or chaotic or dense or heavy or feathery, just any of those, as well as how readily it will be recognized as a line. For instance, the stroke of a black marker will be instantly recognized as a line and our eye will follow it. But the line where two colors meet on a surface, that boundary, kind of seems incidental as a line, so the eye may follow that line, but only after it's kind of hit upon more obvious ones, if there are other obvious lines that exist in that piece. In other words, you can choose to be obvious or subtle in how you lead the eye around with lines, which results in kind of a different feel, right? So the bold marker line probably adds a confidence and certainty in the way it leads the eye, while the boundary between two colors may gently coax and feel more casual or easygoing about leading the eye, both of which will influence the sense of energy and emotion of the work, right? If you are aware that line leads the eye around, you can arrange the various lines in your work to take the eye from one point to another, very much like a writer crafting a storyline. 
Now, line is not the only thing that leads the eye around, but that does tend to be their primary effect. So you can combine lines with other elements, especially things like focal points, which give the viewer a starting point, right? Or periodic jumping to or resting points if they're secondary focal points. And then lines can lead the eye from one focal point to another. They can also become focal points of their own when heavy or grouped or set up in a particular way that really draws us, which is what I want to talk about next, focal point. Because we are so strongly drawn to line, you can use line itself as a focal point or to emphasize something, usually creating secondary focal points. You know, it's kind of like why we underline things to draw attention to it. We draw a line, right? Let's look at a few other uses of line that can come up in your work as well that create focal points. When multiple lines cross or meet at the same point, that point will become a really strong draw, enough to be a primary focal point of its own, depending on what else you got going on, of course. Think of a line drawn arrow. There's three lines that come to a point. There's a one long line, two short lines. If there's an arrow on a page, if it's not too chaotic, your eye will go straight to it and then shoot off from there due to an implied line because arrows push us to continue looking where that long line was going, where it's pointing. And it's these days mostly born as symbolism because as soon as we see an arrow, we think it's pointing at something, right? But arrows became that symbol because of this focal effect and the implied direction that it gives. There's also power in the point where lines cross, like in an X, your eye will be drawn to that cross point. These could become primary or secondary focal points, depending on what else is going on in your work. Same for a spiral. The eye is led to the center point by that circling line, and we have to check out those center points just like on a target, right? Another example might be a horizontal line in a quiet space. That can become a focal point. Because like horizon lines on an ocean image, you'll be drawn to that if everything else is subdued and soft or with vertical lines. In most any composition where there's vertical lines and it's the only really obvious one, that will likely be a focal point, if not the primary focal point. Think of a single tree in a landscape or light coming through a cracked door in a photograph. They're very strong and they really draw us those vertical lines. Even a single wavy line or group of them can become a focal point because line has that strong directional force that we are drawn to check out. We are, of course, drawn to other things. I'm not saying that line is the thing that draws us. I mean, we've got things like targets (laughs) and eyes and faces, the color red, all kinds of things draw us very strongly. But if you need a single element that will create energy and movement and emphasis and that the eye will be drawn to, you're probably going to need a line. Now, another thing that line can do that marks can also do, but nothing else creates quite so well, is rhythm. The kind of rhythm and how it feels can be dramatically changed depending on how it's arranged. Lines that are arranged in an orderly fashion create a regular rhythm, a stable rhythm that conveys order and control, like a Mondrian painting or columns in a building front, And then erratically placed lines will feel more frenetic because the rhythm will be uneven, like in Jackson Pollock paintings or a photo of winter tree branches or the crackling effect on a ceramic pot. These rhythms, however, are usually quite dependent on other characteristics of lines. So 
chaotic lines, for example, can come across as fun or frantic or austere even, depending on their weight, their orientation, and that kind of emotional quality of line. And that brings us to the last thing I want to talk about in terms of use of line to create emotion. The way a line is executed conveys some level of emotion due to our association with the various characteristics we can imbue the line with. These emotional characteristics are similar to what you may have discovered in your exploration of marks. They are additionally related to how we imagine someone might have created the line. For instance, if someone is angry, we can only imagine the lines they'd create in that state would be jagged and heavy and erratic. If someone is feeling happy, we imagine the lines they make might be smooth and flowing and, you know, maybe disconnected, but fun. If someone is all business, we think the lines they make would be straight and concise. Therefore, jagged lines feel irate, flowing lines feel content or fun, and straight orderly lines can feel very serious. The quality of the application of the line, as well as how it moves across a page, can aid in the subtler aspects of an emotion. Take the flowing line with its sense of contentment, which is kind of dominant in a lot of flowing lines. A thin and light flowing line will give off a sense of calm and serenity, while a thick flowing one can imbue the line with delight, and an uneven application of that flowing line can add energy, even a sense of joy, maybe pushing the motion into the realm of excitement. The range of emotions that lines can convey is a vocabulary that most of us already have. The question is, are you aware of how your lines convey emotion when you create or choose them for your work? Sometimes we get wound up in the practical aspects of the composition or don't pay attention to the inherent lines in our materials. Because lines have this language of emotion that's so strong and nearly universal, I do think it benefits us to stand back and ask ourselves about the emotion conveyed by our lines and then determine if that fits our message or the aesthetic of what we're trying to create. Although I listed the characteristics of lines separately here, they can be and often are combined to create complex lines and messages. A line that is vertical until the top where maybe it suddenly leans into a horizontal could create a feeling of compromised security or conflict between something solid and something toppling over. A horizontal line intersecting, say, a spiral can relay a very strong sense of both security and a potential for growth or discovery. Now, if the horizontal line is thicker than the spiral, the sense of security will be prominent. But if the spiral is thicker or brightly colored while the other is just gray or whatnot, the viewer is bound to feel that the piece is more about growth or discovery or something of that sort. So it really depends on how you emphasize those characteristics or those combinations of lines. This can be a lot to juggle in one's mind as you create, but just being aware that you have these options and how you use line can help you resolve a design that isn't quite working right and be the thing to reach for when you are not sure a piece is communicating your intent. The simple, unassuming line is, in reality, one of your very strongest design tools. Keep it well in mind as you create, and it will inevitably bring your designs up a notch and dare I say it, can help you keep it in line with your intentions. Okay, so you're excited to get into working with line now, right? Well, I hope so. But let me suggest how to start yourself off. 
I'm going to suggest an exercise for you. It's very simple and it'll allow you to learn line in a very passive way. Just spend some time with pieces of your own work or the work of others you admire and ask yourself about the energy and the emotion of the work. How does it make you feel? What are your initial thoughts about the message or the emotion that you or the other artist was probably trying to convey? Then make note of what kind of lines are in the work. What is the orientation of the most dominant lines? Are they heavy or thin? Are they continuous or broken? Are they obvious or implied? Do they create rhythm or focal points? Once you've identified the characteristics and how they're being used, see if you can reconcile the initial emotional impact that you had looking at the work or the message that you thought you were getting from it with how the lines were being used. Do the use of those lines assist in developing that emotion or message? If you took out the lines, would it change the feel or the message of the piece? I will be creating a cheat sheet for you that will come out in the newsletter and also post it on Instagram that you can kind of use to go through these when you look at a piece and ask if the kind of common interpretations of the characteristics of line match with how you're reading it in the artwork that you're looking at. For instance, if you see a vertical line, do you feel that bold strength? And if so, what is that doing for the piece? Are there wavy lines and are they serene or fun or something else? Is that also the way the piece feels in general? Asking these questions allows you to become familiar with the way line works in a way that will become rather subconscious for you. Like I mentioned in what I think was the first reel last month on Instagram, learning design isn't about memorizing terms or concepts. It's about becoming familiar with the possibilities and just letting that sink in. It will come out in your work. And in those times where it doesn't come out or you're just not happy with what you've done, you will have this library of design information to access and start asking questions like, are my lines supporting what I'm trying to say or show, right? I hope you've enjoyed learning about lines. I'll see what I can do to post on Instagram this month to support your learning of line. I do have kind of a crazy month ahead of me. My in-laws are moving into our area. This actually starts tomorrow. Uh, repairs on the house are being done. There's landscaping being done in our yard, along with my own personal work that I'm trying to complete and these literal headaches that I have. But we'll get some reminders out there. So do check in on the Instagram and Facebook pages under the Sage Arts Podcast. Do please write me with any questions or thoughts or stories. And you can do that through the contact page at thesagearts.com or through the messaging on Instagram or Facebook or in the posts. If you enjoy what I do here and you do want to give back and support this, there are donation buttons on the homepage of thesagearts.com, just a little ways down the homepage, as well as in your show notes or description section of whatever you're listening to this through. Those donation buttons are the same ones you could use to fulfill the suggested contribution for the upcoming Zoom call if you're going to join us for that. Again, that's August 10th at 11 a.m. Pacific time. 2 p.m. Eastern, and that should be right after dinner in much of Europe. The newsletter will have a time conversion link for you if you need that, by the way. If you're not already on the newsletter list, find the button that says News and Notices on the homepage of the Sage Arts website or look for it in your show notes. As we wrap up here, if you haven't already done so, hit the follow button on your podcast player if you're listening through one. That will allow your podcast player to notify you when a new episode drops and also pushes us up on the results in the search list so we can have more people join us. Consider giving the podcast a review as well so other people interested in it can know what they might be in for. Now, get out there and start looking at line. I think it's going to be funny as you go through your day now. <laughs> You'll start noticing line everywhere. 
And I do apologize ahead of time for the distraction, but that's going to be another great way to concrete these ideas in your mind, to be aware of lying all around you. I do hope you have fun with it. So yes, go out there, feed that muse with all the lines that you can find, be true to your weirdness, and join me next time on the Sage Arts Podcast.